0: Good morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you especially for the word that took flesh and made himself known in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. The one who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Lord, as we reflect together this morning, open our eyes that we may see you, our minds to understand and our hearts to love you and to receive your love from us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Remember those days when you were trying to get children ready and make your way to church and for everything to seem to look calm and peaceful, and yet there was just this sense of chaos. And uh, we could just about hold it together long enough to endure the service. Perhaps maybe the children might begin to open up somewhat. But once we hit the car and the drive home, then things... Could certainly unravel. I don't think the Christian message is simply that, <laughs> that we've somehow got to hold it together whilst we're with one another, until we can be more like we truly are when we're on our own. But rather, I think we're called to something deeper and richer in Christ. The writer of the Proverbs says that a, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But what about if you're also the one who is angry, Or hurting or anxious and circumstances just seem to be against you. We may not necessarily be suffering persecution because of our faith, though that is true for some, but sometimes just the reality of dealing with our boss at work or maybe even our spouse, those children, our in-laws, the neighbors, the bank manager, the government, the pastor, when you feel treated unfairly, when we feel that we've been dumped upon, betrayed, lied to, abused, used, shamed, or neglected. How are we then? When you poke the bear, what comes out? I entitle this, what does provocation provoke in us? Because I think Peter's wanting to encourage us with something and to help us in the midst of life, which brings its trials and at times tribulation. Suffering is a part of life. That is true whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. All to some measure suffer, but not all suffer with God on their side. And certainly not all with a clear conscience, as well as the grace, the empowering presence of God to help us through those circumstances, but even more to be transformed through our experiences. Let's face it, life sucks at times. And God doesn't always intervene how we might like him to or ask him to. Sometimes we're going to find that the very circumstances that we're praying against may be part of God's will for us in that moment. Now, first and foremost, it's important that we make sure that we're not suffering or being treated unfairly because of our bad behavior. If that's the case, then quite simply, we're called to make amends for that and seek reparation. But Jesus says this Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those are words from the end of the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel. Now Peter, in our reading here, and remember Peter's a Jew and he'll be familiar somewhat with the Jewish scriptures. Well he quotes from the prophet Isaiah when he says, Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. That's a direct quote from our passage that I had read from Isaiah chapter 8. This was a time when the king of Judah, which was Ahaz, um, and he was the one who received the prophecy. If you look in Isaiah chapter 7, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. This is a famous passage that we often read in the Christmas season, but it was spoken first to Ahaz, and he was a king and represented the southern kingdom of Judah. And they were under threat because Samaria were in cahoots with Syria. And they were about to attack Judah. And he felt their threat. And so the word of Isaiah comes along and says, do not be afraid of their threats. Look at verse 12. Do not call conspiracy. Everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. There's plenty of conspiracy theories around today, particularly around the the sources and reasons for this coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. How are you responding in the midst of this? Some of us like to ponder that reality, whether or not there is some kind of conspiracy, not just about this, but about everything and anything, it seems like. It's discouraging at times to see the kind of things that even Christians preoccupy themselves with on social media. When you contrast how much is written about potential theories, rightly or wrongly, versus how much is written about the kingdom of heaven, about the promises of God, the nature of God, the goodness of God. It's a good question to ask ourselves, what is the balance of our preoccupation and our communication? You see, this is the way of this people, but it's not to, to be our way. This is what the prophet is trying to say. Do not fear this potential threat, but rather fear God. Honour and revere him. Worship him in the holy place. As Peter puts it, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. This will flow from our sense of devotion to Christ, going beyond just believing in him, but actually entering into relationship and this love affair with him, to experience his grace poured out through the Holy Spirit, his love shed abroad in our hearts, as Paul tells us in the book of Romans. It comes from a devotion that causes us to dedicate our lives to making him known, to representing him in whatever situation we find ourselves, to let his light in us shine forth, especially perhaps in the moments when we are most provoked. That very provocation, and particularly our response in those moments, are meant to prompt questions. Give a reason for the hope that is within you. An apologia, as the Greek word says, an apology. Or really, the the, the meaning of that is not so much saying sorry, but it's giving a reason or a defense for one's actions. And in this case, Peter would want to say, even in the midst of seeming um, persecution, difficulty, trials that come upon us, we live with a perspective of future hope. Remember, that's how he started his letter. This, this future hope through the resurrection and this inheritance that is kept in heaven. We have future glory that causes us to live differently today. What we're called to defend are not our actions but our faith in the God who is sovereign over the circumstances and events of our lives and this world. Now, we are not all called to be evangelists. God called some to be evangelists, those who would proclaim the message of the gospel, those who could speak to crowds, to individuals, and to give a good reason or defense of the gospel. We may not all be called and gifted in that way. However, we are all meant to have hope This is an abiding reality. Now, faith, hope, and love remain. The greatest of these is love, Paul tells us. But hope is there until such time as that hope is realized in eternity. And the invitation is that that should be so tangible and real that our lives lived in that hope provoke questions to those around us. It's so much easier, in a way, to share the gospel. And the reason we have hope when people are asking us. In other words, when the questions are provoked because of the graciousness of our responses, especially when we are under pressure. It's the hardest thing in the world to just try and convert people by trying to convince them. But when the grace demonstrated through our lives, the gentleness, um, the gentle answer, even in the midst of wrath, causes questions, then we can begin to speak of who and what has changed literally our lives and touched our hearts? Peter reminds us to give a reason with gentleness, with reverence, and not hostility. Really good principle to remember as we bear witness to Christ, the Prince of Peace, that we do so with gentleness. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Blessed are the meek, Matthew also says in his Gospel. Recording Jesus' words, for they shall inherit the earth. These are all the same qualities. And to do so with, with respect for the people to whom we're speaking. Paul puts this in a same message, in a similar vein, uh, when he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This is what the enemy does. He holds us captive through his deception, through his accusations, through shame, through closing our eyes to the reality of the truth. And Paul describes such people as like prisoners of war. Good to think about that when those with whom we're speaking, people perhaps we would love to see converted, whether it's our enemies or whether it's our friends or family or children, to remember that they're like prisoners of war held against their will at one level. It reminds me that Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He didn't come at people with hostility. With argument, but he came with gentleness and compassion and care for their situation. He was willing to sit with them, to get to know them, to eat with them, to experience hospitality. And in the midst of that, lives were changed. I love the story of Zacchaeus in Luke's gospel. He was one of the the tax collectors of the city, despised by the locals, and yet Jesus, just through the very act of saying, "I must come and eat with you today." that practice of hospitality, that entering into his life, transformed the life of Zacchaeus. Now, Peter also describes us as having a clear conscience. What does a clear conscience come from? How do we foster that? Well, when we do what is right, and we know that we're doing what is right, we have a clear conscience. When we transgress, when we do things unloving, ultimately sinful, our conscience tells us that we have offended God, ultimately, but people also. And our conscience will be clean when even though people would treat us with distaste or with malicious, painful words, we respond with loving truth. Talk is hard. Conversation. Things come out of our mouth we wish we could take back. It doesn't take for us to be speaking too long before we might say something we later regret. The writer Proverbs says, "In the multiple, mul- sorry, the multitude of words, sin is not lacking." But again, again, it comes back to the state of our heart, the state of our devotion to the Lord. Jesus Himself said, "Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks." And so, Peter, in trying to encourage um, these Christians to respond well in the face of struggle, goes back to something that he'd said earlier in his letter in chapter 2 Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Our good deeds, our responses, our words can have that kind of impact. And sometimes, as Peter says, it's the Lord's will to suffer for doing good. What's the most important thing is that we're not suffering for doing evil. Again, back to Proverbs. There's some real wisdom in that book. When a man's ways please the Lord, it makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When we act in accordance with the will of God and the goodness of God, even our enemies can be changed and become at peace with us. When we're dealing with family members especially, children, grown-up children, and we're saddened that they seem to have departed from God's ways, they seem so strong in him earlier in life, But do we maintain a consistency of testimony towards them, of love, acceptance towards them? Rather than putting the law upon them, are we the ones who demonstrate God's compassion and care? And so they want to be with us. They enjoy being with us. Not because we throw the God thing at them, but because we are an expression of God's love towards them. How do we do all this? Well, as Peter says, we look to Christ. His example. He was the one who suffered the most. As an expression of God's love for you in the face of your sin and rebellion, Jesus suffered. The rejection he went through, his unjust trial, the beatings, the scourging, and the crucifixion. We ponder the fact that God has been consistently rejected Not just since the time of Christ, although that is true, but really from the time of creation, seen in the people of Israel. Peter goes back to the time of the flood. I don't think he's saying that Jesus, in his death, somehow goes down into hell and speaks to the spirits of those. But it does recognize that even back in time, at the time of the flood, when God was speaking through um, Noah, the preacher of righteousness... Christ was in that, and still the message were resisted, so much so that only eight people on the face of the earth were saved. He wants to reinforce again and again the blessings of baptism, of being baptized, and he's the antitype of the flood which preceded it. Good consciences are a fruit of the gospel because we are not just made right, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are given a new nature a new disposition, a new heart. We're given a new identity as children of God. We belong to God. He names us. And the powers of hell have been overcome. The victory has been won. And so we can be free. And through our testimony, help to set free those still held in Satan's grip as prisoners of war. This comes through the Spirit. This enabling and empowering grace of God which has flooded our lives and changed us and hopefully equipped us that even in the midst of provocation, we can respond with gentleness, with sensitivity, with care, compassion, and truth that may even provoke questions. Tell me how you do that. What is it that causes you to be able to respond and to stay so calm And uh, so reasoned in the face of such treatment. And all we can do is point people to Christ, the one who did it for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you in his love. Amen.